With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, Bob Brill. He's Eric Kramer. Welcome to Kramer and Brill Fantasy Football Podcast. Now a videocast as well. You can hear the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Libsyn, Radio.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. And now we're on Megaphone through the C-Suite network as well. Also, you can see the video cast on YouTube by going to my Bob Brill YouTube channel or by finding the links for all of this at KramerandBrill.com. That's the easiest way. You can see it right there on the bottom of your screen, uh, KramerandBrill.com. Now, during the offseason each week, we'll be taking a look at each NFL team as they prepare for the draft and the upcoming year. We'll do that with local reporters who cover those teams to get their perspectives. Uh, this week, we're joined by Cole Pepper, who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars as a sports anchor for WJXT in Jacksonville. Cole, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Oh, you're very welcome. So this was uh, a good season for the Jags if they get the first pick, uh, <laughs> we, but it's not a great season. So uh, why don't you give us a little recap of uh, the season for us? Well, Bob, if you're going to stink, you might as well go all the way, right? Uh, <laughs> don't just uh, go halfway. And the Jaguars certainly did that. They won the opener against the Indianapolis Colts. And with all of the uncertainty about what was going to happen with no preseason games and you know, limited offseason work, you know, we thought that this was going to be a team that was going to struggle, but they came out of the gate and won that first game. We thought, well, maybe we were all wrong about this. We weren't all wrong about this, uh, as it turned out. Uh, the Jaguars had uh, real issues. Um, they were a very young team. The roster really got blown up last offseason uh, when they got rid of the likes of Calais Campbell and Leonard Fournette and A.J. Boye and pretty much any veteran that anybody had heard of on this team. Uh, who you know was into his second contract or more, and in some cases even still on their first contract. And I think the idea certainly was to be uh, you know decent austerity measures, and then you know try to compete. Perhaps if this was a master plan to get the first pick, then it was a master plan that worked to a T because uh, the Jaguars just kept losing. They lost their last 15 games, and as the Jets started pulling out improbable wins. There they are uh, sitting at the number one spot in the draft. They also have the most salary cap space of anybody in the NFL. So they are going to be very aggressive, uh, I would think, uh, in uh, terms of free agency when that opens up next month. Hey, Cole. Uh, so unlike, I'll give some credit here to Bob. Unlike Bob, uh, who stuck with the, the Buccaneers, right, going to the Super Bowl, everyone else is saying the Chiefs, me included, he sticks with them, and of course they win. Unlike that, I was more like what you described in thinking that the Jaguars were going to be terrible. They get the first win. I jump off of that thinking that, <laughs> oh, okay, maybe they're better than I thought they were. And like you said, no, they weren't. So now you got a new coach. You got a new uh, – is the new GM as well or just Urban yep. Meyer? Yeah, Trent, ba Trent Balky has been promoted to that position. Yeah. Right. So you got the first overall pick, a lot of draft capital, salary free agency coming up. What can you identify as some possible either – Moves, picks, or needs that the right, Jaguars well, are going to make? I'm going to start, Eric, by going out on a limb here and saying, I think the Jaguars are going to go quarterback with their first pick. <laughs> Let the <laughs> so Trevor Lawrence here begin, right? Exactly. Don't break that branch. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be the first one. But they also have another first-round pick from the Rams as part of the Jalen Ramsey trade. Uh, they've got five picks in the first 
uh, you know, first, second, and early in the third round this year. So they're going to be able to address some, some issues there. Uh, I think you look at the field and uh, look, look on the field. There are so many positions of need. You could almost draft anything and make a case for it at this point, with a possible exception of linebacker, depending on how they're going to play. What we don't know right now, and this is a big question, is are they going to stick with the four, three principles that they've played in uh, under Todd Wash, who's now gone? Or uh, is Joe Cullen going to come in and play a little bit more of a three, four set of principles? I think they have the personnel on the outside to play that with Josh Allen, uh, who had a very good rookie year, took a step back in his second year. Injuries were a part of that. Not having Calais Campbell, Unique Ngakwe taking attention certainly uh, played into that as well. Uh, they drafted Caleb on chase on last year, who really struggled uh, as a down lineman um, out of LSU, but he did show some things at the end of the year when he started to be stood up a little bit more. So we may see that transition. If that happens, you probably still would like to address uh, not only defensive line, but safety can certainly be upgraded. They need a corner, maybe two. They did draft CJ Henderson, um, but uh, you can never have enough good corners in the national football league. The offensive line, has the most experience, but they didn't play particularly well last year, particularly in terms of pass protection. So you can see them uh, address uh, that in free agency and or the draft. Uh, they do like their wide receivers. So, uh, you know, let's just assume Trevor Lawrence is the pick. You've got DJ Chark, uh, LaVisca Chenault, who, who they uh, really liked as a rookie. Uh, it has to show that he can stay on the field, but it certainly showed some things. Uh, Keelan Cole is a, a free agent. But a guy who was an undrafted rookie, he's shown he can be a good depth guy at that spot. Um, so they, they like some of the pieces they have. They signed Tyler Eifert as a tight end. I still think they could draft a tight end uh, with that second pick of the first round. So pretty much anywhere you look, there's probably a need. They like James Robinson as their, as their running back, the guy who took over for Leonard Fournette. But other than that, uh, I think the whole uh, opportunity here is you know, just find the best player, find a spot for him. Uh, I don't think they have to get too cute with it. How did the fan base uh, react to Urban Meyer? Generally positive, but with a little bit of skepticism. Of course, there are a lot of fans around here who remember his performance with the Gators and how he performed, uh, you know, there at Ohio State. He's a known quantity at the college level. I think the skepticism comes down in, in two parts. One, he's never been an NFL head coach. He's never been an NFL assistant. He didn't play in the NFL it's a different world and uh, how you communicate with players has to be different. Now this is going to be a young roster. So it may be easier for urban Meyer to have some of those conversations and some of those messages land. But at some point you're going to be talking to a guy who's making, you know, 10 or $12 million a year or more potentially. And uh, you know, who's got a family and a mortgage and, you know, it's a different conversation than a 19 year old sophomore. So I think that's one level of skepticism. The other level of skepticism I think it's about Urban Meyer's health and how dedicated he's going to be to doing the things he needs to do to not have health problems, run him off the job as he's had at Florida and Ohio State in the past. And uh, so we'll see how that all plays out. But I think in general, people were excited. And if you look around the league at the, at the, the hirings, uh, as far as the head coaches, I don't think anybody made a bigger splash with their head coach higher than the Jaguars did with Urban Meyer. So you can win the press conference. Now you got to start winning games. So the, I guess the first thing that's coming up, first of all, I, everyone's talked about how much um, cap space the Jaguars have. And now with free agency, really going to be the next big thing to happen. Uh, have you or any other people around Jaguars identified some potential pickups they might make, whether they be big name splashes or just more volume in terms of 
solid starters they could come out of this free agency period with. Yeah, you know, I, I think in the past, in the with the exception of 2017, where they really spent big on Calais Campbell and uh, Barry Church uh, and A.J. Boye, and it really transformed that defense and helped lead them to the AFC Championship game. For the most part, this has been a Jaguar team that has been looking for those second-level uh, free agents. I think that changes this year. I think Chad Khan, the owner, realizes you can't just do that. If you're not hitting on your draft picks, you've got to fill some spots with uh, with free agency. So somebody like a Trent Williams uh, could be a target. I mean, uh, he's going to be a 20 million plus, maybe a year guy. But the Jaguars have the cap space, you know, to to sort of be the elephant in the room and and shove everybody around and get some of those uh, top players. So uh, I think if knowing that you're going to draft Trevor Lawrence, getting that offensive line set up with veteran players who you can rely on, you know, you can, you can lean on them. I think is going to be huge. Cam Robinson, their left tackle is going to be a free agent. He's been a little bit of an underwhelming player as a high second round pick. Uh, he's had some injury issues at times. He's been good at times. He's struggled. He's probably he, because he's been a starter basically his whole career while he's been healthy. He's probably going to get a big number in free agency, but if you're going to spend a big number on the left tackle in free agency, don't you want a guy who you know what you're going to get out of him? Uh, so I think that's probably uh, where the Jaguars will look. Offensive line first, maybe defensive line. Um, Leonard Williams would be a guy who I think could really help out this team, particularly uh, if they go to that 3-4. You have a guy who can penetrate from the defensive tackle position. Uh, those would be two top names on my list if I was uh, striking a check with Shad Khan's money. If um, I know I look at some teams around the league, and Eric knows we've talked about my Steelers quite a bit are going to lose a bunch of people to free agency. The Jags going to lose some people. Uh, yeah. Again, like Cam Robinson might be one of them, but most of the, they've already lost everybody. <laughs> I mean, the, the significant contributors are gone, you know, uh, from the past year. So they sort of did a preemptive move here. Uh, the way it timed up with the pandemic year, I don't believe was part of the master plan, but it may have fallen into place a little bit more. Because, you know, if you're going to go one in 15, if you're going to jettison all your experienced players with any kind of uh, talent, uh, it's going to hurt you at the at the box office. But because of the limitation in terms of, of attendance, uh, you're going to lose at the box office anyway. So um, I, I think you're you're not going to see any major players outside of maybe a Cam Robinson uh, departing the Jaguars for the simple fact they just don't have a lot of big name players. I mentioned Keelan Cole earlier. He's a guy who who maybe could go. But um uh, this is not a team that's loaded with, uh, you know, free agents that other teams are going to be clamoring for. You know, speaking of bigger name uh, Jaguars in the past, especially Tony Baselli, you know, probably one of the best in terms of when I played, I think he was the best offensive tackle. And for him not, not again, or again, not to have made the Hall of Fame after being another finalist, uh, what's kind of the word there around Jacksonville as far as his future potentially as a Hall of Famer? Yeah, and Eric, I'm glad to hear you say that because the more I hear players who played with him, I mean, I covered Tony when he played, uh, but for guys who were down on the field, obviously uh, you have an appreciation for what a left tackle can do in the National Football League, and uh, I agree with you. I think when he was on the field and healthy, he was the best left tackle uh, in the game there, and that's he was three years in a row. He was an all-pro, and you look at some of the other left tackles who did not make first-team all-pro because Baselli was holding him out, you know, Walter Jones and Willie Rofe and uh, right. as like that. It, he, he was great. Um, I think the issue right now is twofold. One, the length of his career is being held against him by some of the Hall of Fame selectors in that room. Um, that's not going to change. You know, he, he only played the games he played. 
So right. 97 games, including the postseason. Um, however, they did put Megatron in this year. And again, Megatron was a great player, Calvin Johnson, but he had a shorter career. Uh, so I made this point on TV last night that if Tony Baselli had played two more years of mediocre, you know, not Hall of Fame level football, not improved the you know his reputation as a player, but just played to you nine years. That would have been the same as Calvin Johnson. Would he be in? Uh, well, Dick, Dick Buck has had about seven, maybe productive right. years. Yeah, yeah. And, and people get, think, and he's synonymous with the NFL. Right. And, and, and Sayers, of course, is another. All that. Yeah. Gets brought up to Terrell Davis. Um, I think it. I think that has to change. The other thing, we've had this string here of Kevin Mawai and Steve Hutchinson and Alan Fanica this year of offensive linemen. And for whatever reason, the selectors are not really big on putting multiple players in the same position in the same time, unless it's a quarterback who just demands that, you know, two guys go in. So I don't see another hall of fame finalist kind of offensive lineman coming down the pike. So I think maybe fingers crossed 2022. Mm-hmm. Cause I think, I think Tony definitely deserves it. And it would be kind of uh, interesting for, for it to happen and be announced uh, for the, uh, you know, the game being played in L.A. next year. Tony, of course, right. went to SC, so right. you know, a lot of folks uh, in his orbit around him there. I got to think that uh, Leonard Fournette's smiling today. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would... <laughs> if he's even up yet. Yeah, right. If he's been to sleep yet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I think, I think that deal worked out great for both parties, quite honestly. Um, Fournette was in a position where um, he it just wasn't really working that well in Jacksonville. Part of it was obviously the team struggling. Um, he did not have a very good year in 2018 after that uh, 2017 season where he burst on the scene and really made a difference as a rookie. Uh, had a better year in 2019 um, and played 15 games. Looked more like a guy who was ready to contribute consistently, but you know, the, again, the Jaguars were trying to move anybody with talent and, and market value. They tried to trade him several times in the offseason, couldn't get any takers, wound, wound, uh, finally wound up waving him. But the fact that they found James Robinson as an undrafted rookie and he comes in, again, one year, we don't know what happens in the future, but he sure looks the part. So uh, I think it was a, a positive for both sides. And, you know, a lot of Jaguars fans are looking at everybody on Tampa Bay who has a Jacksonville connection. Blaine Gabbert is the backup quarterback there. Byron Leftwich is the offensive coordinator, two quarterbacks the Jaguars took with the first picks of the draft. One of my favorite stories of all time, Jadon Nickens, the return man who slept in his car when he was in Jacksonville to save money, uh, it just parked in the parking lot of the stadium and slept in his car. So there are a lot of Jaguars connections, and of course Jaguars fans are saying, why can't we keep these guys around? But uh, as you know, it's not just about who you have, it's sort of the whole collection, and of course it didn't hurt to have number 12 back there either. Yeah. Well, I think they – Hopefully, anyway, there's been so many, you know, new coaches and rebuilds really in the last uh, several years with Jacksonville. Hopefully now, maybe they've got the right combination where they just kind of clean house everywhere, start new, and maybe with the fresh Urban Meyer, who's been out of the game now for a few years, uh, even though he's never coached in the NFL, you know, maybe that collective unit can bring back uh, or begin again, I guess, uh, you know, basically what Tom Cawthon started all those years ago. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when Dave Caldwell took over as the general manager and Gus Bradley started as the head coach, they kind of cleaned house at that point as well. And they let go of some guys who were good, solid, vet, good, you know, reliable veterans, guys like uh, 
uh, Daryl Smith and Greg Jones, uh, who wound up playing uh, several years after that. Montel Owens had been a pro bowler as a special teamer. Let those guys go. We're necessarily high dollar veterans. I, what my one concern about this whole cleaning house situation is you still have to have some veteran voices in that locker room. Now, maybe you bring them in during free agency and that solves that issue. But uh, the Jaguars lost some very important voices over the last several years in that locker room. Calais Campbell, Paul Pazlesny, Mercedes Lewis. Some of those guys were Pro Bowl level players. Some of them were just reliable starters. But uh, you got to have some veteran voices in there. It can't just come and be coming from the coach, Eric, as you know. So that's the one thing that I'm going to be watching for in free agency, not just who they bring in in terms of the positions, but the type of personalities that they add to the team as well. Well, the Bengals and some, several other teams uh, discovered that the uh, number one quarterback that they drafted was NFL ready for the most part. Uh, what's, with Trevor Lawrence coming in, what's the feeling there? Is there going to be a, any kind of competition? They're going to throw him in as a starter? or uh, And is he going to get any kind of help from his backup quarterback who played last year? Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting what they do with that position behind Trevor Lawrence. I, first of all, I think you draft Trevor Lawrence, he's the starter, put him in, go. Like, I don't I, – I know that doesn't always work with, with rookies, but if you're drafting a guy as the number one pick, don't mess around. Get him in there. Get him some playing time. Uh, if you're willing to make that, uh, that investment in him as the first pick, get him out there on the field. Um, Gardner Minshew, I think is a, from a talent perspective is in an approach perspective could be a very good backup, but he wants to be a starter. And it, it, there's, you know, I did a show with Mark Brunel the last several years here in town. And one of the things Mark and I talked about, uh, who's now the, the Detroit Lions quarterbacks coach is what he wanted out of a backup quarterback when he was playing. And, you don't really want a guy who wants your job, you know? Uh, usually when you have a rookie quarterback, you have that veteran quarterback who's been around for a while. Uh, when I first started covering uh, the league, it was in Kansas City, and, you know, Steve DeBerg was, had been the veteran guy who'd been there. That type of player who can come in in a pinch and, and start is great, but to have a guy who's, who's got that kind of mentality, who could be a coach, I think that's what you want, and Eric can, can speak to this better than I can. Um, right now, what they have as a, in terms of backup quarterbacks here you've got Gardner Minshew who wants to be a starter Jake Luton who was a sixth round pick who got overwhelmed when he faced the Steelers but had some things that he showed uh, as well so what they do with that position I think still very much remains to be seen um, I'm not sure that the backup quarterback is on this roster right now quite honestly yeah well I think so to speak to that when I was in Chicago my last year there I think it was is either last year last year or the year before one of the two Dave Craig, who'd been a longtime starter with mm -hmm. the Seahawks, and again, one of those guys that had been to Kansas City, eventually found his way to Chicago. And, you know, he, he was still very good. And I ended up getting hurt. He ended up playing quite a bit and, um, you know, had a lot to, of good uh, football still left in him. And by that point, you're right. I think he was ready to be a backup, but then he got, he got uh, pushed into playing and played well. Um, whether that can happen for Gardner Minshew, I don't know. Obviously, he's still young, and, and I think he's a good quarterback. Whether he wants to be the backup or not, I don't know. And probably, like you said, if you project out that he doesn't want to be okay, then maybe go get another – because you've got all this cap space, maybe go get another free agent type of guy, maybe like an Andy Dalton or something that uh, has kind of found himself in that role now in Dallas. Yeah, and you know they had Mike Glennon in as well uh, this past year. And that level, you know, that age of quarterback is probably a good age. But again, 
you want a guy who's comfortable with being the backup who can also you know contribute in terms of being a uh, you know sort of a mentor in there as well and be another voice in the, in the quarterback's room uh, they're hiring Brian Schottenheimer as the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator and he's certainly a guy who's been around uh, quite a bit and so uh, you, there, there's something about having a coach there but there's something else about having a teammate who can uh, sit there and kind of walk you through, particularly not only learning a new offense, which everybody will be doing this year, but learning to play in a new league, which Trevor Lawrence will certainly be doing in 2021. Cole, I want to thank you for joining us. I've got to wrap this up. Cole Pepper, who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars as a sports anchor for WJXT in Jacksonville. Hope you had some fun with us today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, Bob and Eric. You got it. Each week, we'll visit a different NFL team and talk with local experts, reporters about that team and the draft and its future for the upcoming NFL season. A new team each week, so uh, you'll be sure to join us again next week. And there you have it. Kramer and Brill, fantasy football podcast, now a videocast as well. You can hear the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Lipsum, Radio.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. And now also, you can see the videocast on YouTube by going to my Bob Brill YouTube channel or by finding the links for all of this at KramerandBrill.com right there in the bottom of your screen. That's the easiest way. For uh, Cole Pepper, my friend uh, Eric Kramer, and me, nice to see you. We'll see you next time.